0: Coming up next, part three on To Kill a Mockingbird. Welcome to Kill a Mocking, Mockingbird. Is this like a new game? I want to Mock. kill a yeah. mocking bird. Yeah, we haven't done that yet. I was wondering whether, nice. whether we would do that. Now we've done it. Mocking, Mockingbird. Am I supposed to do something now? <laughs> it's the great Mockingbird song <laughs> that I just made up. Somewhat derivative of the village people, but I like to think I created it. I want to kill a mocking bird. Brandon is nodding. <laughs> How would you describe Brandon's nod, Jake?
1: Sartorial.
0: Sartorial. Brandon has a sartorial nod. Yeah. Huh. Stabbed him right in the sartorial. <laughs> That's right. You got me. <laughs> the sartorial is bleeding. All right. I suppose I should introduce us. Maybe. Hopefully the new listeners are gone. And <laughs> Do we still have listeners after that <laughs> Dada episode? Oh, yeah. That came out. That absurdism. I think Godot got what he deserved, (laughs) or or Beckett, or whoever you want to say. That was a good episode. I like that episode. Which, uh, fun fact, folks no drink, no substance, no nothing on that episode. In case you were wondering, which my wife did, (laughs) the answer is no. Actually, there wasn't. Wow.
1: We wouldn't have been able to be that uh, lucidly, sexually lucid. You're absolutely right, Jake.
0: And I could have said it better myself. We would not have been able to be that metatextually lucid.
1: This episode, however.
0: <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. All right. I should really introduce us. There's Brandon. He's the scholar who's a baller of reading. There's Jake. He's the pastor who's a master of reading. Uh guys, let's say our classic catchphrase. Which is I'll, um I'll text it to uh, I'll text to both of you. You've both got your phones. So three, <laughs> uh, we'll do three, two, one, go. Few days go by where I don't <laughs> imagine chili in Nietzsche's mustache.
2: That's great stuff. Yeah.
1: That's uh, amazing.
2: It's true as well.
0: A few days <laughs> do go by. <laughs> <laughs> also, many more.
1: <laughs> Is that also from Godot?
0: No, probably. It has to be. <laughs> I can't imagine that we... <laughs> Where else would that come from? <laughs> <laughs> Nietzsche came up in that episode. I'm yes. sure plenty. Yes. you're right. You're right. You're right. Okay, folks, l- let me let me talk to you more about what's going on here. My name, I, I haven't even introduced myself. Jake, you want to
1: introduce me? Uh that's Nathan. He's the host who's got the most or something like mm-hmm. that. Right? Oh, yeah, he does.
0: Okay, guys, Mockingbird. Let's talk about so we had three criticisms. That we did not get a chance to cover last episode. <laughs> I forgot that's what we were doing. We've got two more criticisms to talk about today. Okay, criticism numero dos. Should we remind people what the other criticism was? Yeah, it was by our good friend Flannery O'Connor. That's right. She said,
1: "Oh, that's what we're doing."
0: Okay. For, quote for so we're talking about the I now.
1: We had three criticisms. This no. is a children's book. I we was like trying to figure out what in the world. We hey, don't guys. have any
0: criticism. We love this book. I would like to...
2: Speaking of children's books, because yeah. that was, that's, was her criticism. Mm. This is a children's book, and people just didn't realize it was a children's book. And we made the smart comments that, well, <laughs> like that's a real insult to call something a children's book, for one. And two, she wants everything to be uh, gritty, like... What's that it guy's name? says
1: a lot about what she thinks Yeah, it, is it says more
2: sure. about her than it says about Harper Lee. Right. Is that a fair gist of what we said? I think so, yeah. But, so our friend Nathan, not Nathan, got us gifts for... Christmas, mm-hmm. one of those gifts I used to purchase a book called *Loud Mouse*, mm. a, a children's book I didn't realize existed, but it was by Rich, it's by Richard Wilbur, and I just got it the other day, so it's that's great. Huh. Thank you, Nathan, not Nathan. Speaking of children's books,
0: there you go. Yeah, I must suck since it's a children's book. Yeah, I
2: must. Yeah, Flannery O'Connor must. would never read it. Yeah, she wonders if I knew that's what I was buying. <laughs>
0: You're oh, probably Flannery? too stupid to know. Chokes on you, I am too stupid to know. <laughs> <laughs> Does a loud mouse get dragged into the woods and shot at the loud end? Loud mouse. A oh, loud mouse. Yeah. Loud does a loud mouse. mouse get dragged into the woods and shot at the end? He does. Yeah. But the misfit? He does. Well, there you go. Yeah. Sounds like a great children's book. It's
2: just a retelling of all the Leonard O'Connor's stories for children.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Sounds horrifying. <laughs> but now with animals. Yeah, right. Mouse has a wooden leg and... <laughs> His brother ends up
0: drowning. All this. It's really fun stuff. <laughs> See the misfit. See the misfit. Shoot. See the misfit. Shoot the boy. Uh, loudmouth tries to scream, but he cannot. Because <laughs> he's dead. <laughs> uh, he has a loudmouth and he must scream. Uh, I'll give a million dollars to anybody that can gets that reference. Okay. Well, it's this close. If you out there, we're going to get it. Then Nathan owes you a million dollars. I guess I owe you a million dollars. I won't be delivering on that. Now. The second criticism, are we ready for it? Really,
2: You're not going to deliver on that? <laughs> no. thanks for not going to be delivering on thanks that. Thanks for, for clarifying, Nathan.
0: <laughs> uh, Warhorn legal team is very relieved right now. <laughs> oh, they should be. Because, disclaimer, it was a lie. All right. So, in 1966, a couple years after the novel came out, a scholar named W.J. Stuckey. Oh, that sounds like a scholar for you.
1: <laughs> Never heard of him.
0: It sounds like a brand of peanut butter. (laughs) Famous books written by (laughs) Lee Harper, one. Famous books written by W.J. Stuckey, zero. (laughs) All right, we dealt with that argument. (laughs) On to the (laughs) next one. (laughs) No, okay. So, W.J. Stuckey. Mm -hmm. Never heard of him. Never heard of him. Lee. I'm quoting from an article that I don't know. What did you say? Lee. Impugned. Oh, impugned. Okay. Yeah.
1: I didn't understand you
0: either. Sorry. Lee for Mockingbird's mobilizing of the child's perspective in an adult's language. Tagging it as a, quote, rhetorical trick. Whenever she gets into difficulties with one point of view, wrote Stucky, she switches to the other. And I am quoting from, not Stucky, but from an article it's, about Stucky that I don't remember where that article... It's I,
1: called Style, and if you don't like to watch... Somebody dance on a tightrope, then fine. This book's not for you, but don't, don't criticize one. it. We'll dance on your for,
0: grave, W.J. Stuckey. That's what we're going to do. For being
1: yeah. brilliant at what it is doing and how it's accomplishing it. Yeah, you, should have,
2: you should have stuck to inventing the crustless peanut butter sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> That's
1: what your name sounds like.
2: W.J. Stuckey. Pretty yeah. good w. brand J. of peanut Stuc- butter. Yeah, I think so, right? It's I keep thinking. I must be hungry.
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> Well, it's got an S and an Uck in it. So it's Smuckers, mm-hmm. Stucky, you know. Oh, well, uh, there we go.
2: <laughs> well, David Copperfield, mm-hmm.
1: Parts of War and Peace.
2: Uh huh. I, I mean, you, the list goes on of authors who have written from an adult perspective, but about a childhood perspective as well. And having that sort of mixture of perspectives is and Tolstoy
1: called, tells things from the perspective yeah. of a horse. for Yeah, reasons. it's called-, it's called <laughs> Or a dog. It's
0: called Good- third person indirect narration.
1: Well, let me, I don't, I don't know, know how much I'm gonna
0: be able to improve this argument, but let me try.
1: Look, it's the cool. only way to improve the argument is to say it's a cheap trick. And that's all he's trying to do is to say it's a cheap trick. But what exactly is he trying to criticize? She uses a rhetorical device and achieves an effect consistently with that rhetorical device and i don't understand why it's a cheap trick i, I, I guess think the it's implication actually very is,
0: difficult to do i think it is certainly to do well and, you, and i can certainly think of example what is a good example of this done poorly i can think of an example of it done extremely and that would be a christmas story which i love the narration in a christmas story but well, the the guy's always like here's my snide adult way of expressing what uh, kids do not to, okay, people just fasten your safety
2: belts. A.A. Milne. Here no. <laughs> <laughs> Not in a bad way, but you can still see how the adult perspective and the child, it can be, it can have overtones that can be unfortunate. Right. Because that was our whole criticism of Milne. We all loved Milne. Mm. We all love Winnie the Pooh. We love it. Yep. Mm-hmm. But there were still those overtones that are a part of
0: this guy snidely not really wanting to write children's stories. But you were going to... Well, I'm just trying to think of... What's an example of it done... So you said Mellon was a good example of it done poorly. or, or well, done, not done poorly, but just, still
2: where you could see some of the effect that might be a little negative. I personally, I'm not crazy about a Christmas story.
0: Yeah, well, that's why I brought it up because yeah. people's mileage may vary. I think a lot of people love it, but it is such an extreme example of... The movie has one joke and the joke is the guy's going to take a very silly kid thing and yeah. he's going to cast it in the most dramatic adult language. And then you're going to enjoy the contrast, the contrast, the ironic contrast between the two. But one where it's done poorly, where the adult perspective through the eyes of a child. I bet we can think of a movie that's
1: bad that does this, but. Just come out and say that you don't like it. Me? No. This... Oh, Stucky. Yeah. There's no, Nathan. <laughs> come <laughs> on. <laughs> he's
0: dead. Probably. <laughs> Sorry, W. W. J. Stuck sucky if you're listening and you're not dead.
1: All he's actually said is this book uses a rhetorical device that is a stylistic decision that I want to criticize. And so I'm going to call it a rhetorical trick instead of a rhetorical device because I don't like it. And there's just really no... (laughs) I guess if you wanted to give a sympathetic spin to the argument, I'm going to
0: keep trying here. Maybe he's saying she should have stuck with one. Like in other words, write a novel from an adult's perspective, talking about a kid or simply inhabit a kid. But there is, I guess what he's saying is there's something manipulative or false or cowardly unfair about jumping between the two. It it means you don't actually have to deal with the serious ramifications of things where you don't want to, but then you can cowardly. Yeah. You can kind of just pick and choose. So
1: yeah. Oh, here's a place where I don't actually want to say something about race, and so I'm going to jump into. Oh, Scout's Scout. too
0: stupid to get it right now. Yeah. How cute. And, and then so here's I a place can dance where
1: all around all this stuff without actually having to take any time. There's an inconvenient moral stand or perspective that needs to be taken. I can retreat into Scout's innocence, and so it's cowardly. But he doesn't call it cowardly. No. And it is, in fact, I don't think cowardly
2: but what does he want harper lee to pause at every revelation and make it clear and like write an essay for us i think he wants he he
0: wants her to do it one or the other i think he either wants it to be from the point of view of a child with the restrictions of in thinking that a child would have or that's what from the point of view of an adult thinking about a child i
2: get frustrated with these sorts of criticisms because all it's like what jake was saying all he's saying is that he didn't like the rhetorical trick right He's not acknowledging the fact the that- The
1: rhetorical device that he then just calls He calls a trick.
2: a trick, but even if it is a trick, all it is is it's the way she chooses to tell the story. She has moments where she acknowledges this is an adult. I'm thinking back on the past, and now let's go back and inhabit and tell the story that I'm telling you and have acknowledged that that's what I'm doing. So I really don't see the problem.
0: I don't see- Well, it's, it's like any device, I think. like The device of flashbacks in movies. They're dumb and hack until they're not. You know, like if you can pull it off, then it's great. Yeah, and if but, you can't, then it's terrible. And that's,
2: that's how they become bad usually is otherwise it's novel. And this to me seems, and it's not something that people you can imagine can do easily well. And she does it well and it tells the story and it does the trick for her. So I really don't see what Stucky's problem is. Well, yeah. And I so I, I just, I get tired of certain types of critics that have their biases And they have, this is the way things are done, right? This is the Mm -hmm. way that Western tradition has always done things. And this is not the way that epics tell their stories and things like this. And you're like, well, okay. But you're acknowledging then that this author must be fairly self-aware about what they're doing. And that's part of art is both working within tradition and also giving an interesting spin on it to keep it entertaining. And And sometimes I don't even get the sense that, so that can be what artists do, but I don't even get the sense that's what Harper Lee's doing. She's just found a good way to tell her story.
1: Yeah. She's yeah, not like
2: doing it to be novel. She's not doing it to be ingenious. This is just the way, this is like a memoir, a fictionalized memoir.
1: I mean, you can say that given the time and the circumstances and everything else, she had to be very circumspect about her subject matter. I really think that the real case to be made is cowardice here. Mm-hmm. I,
0: the real case that Stucky could be made. Could
1: the, the real, if you want to make a case against the rhetorical device that she uses and her style and her perspective. The case is cowardice. It is, you didn't have the moral courage to actually come out and say what the book is saying all over the place. You maintain plausible deniability by retreating into the perspective of an innocent child whenever it was convenient for you or whenever it was inconvenient for you to take Mm -hmm. a stand. That's the case that you can make. And, And I think that that's an argument worth Worth having, but I don't think that this book lasts. I don't think it has the impact that it has. I don't think that it sells. I don't think that it is a timeless masterpiece if she comes out and does what somebody who would make that argument would want her to do. And you can say that that was in part a failure of moral courage. And you might even, in some respects, be right. But at the end of the day, her job wasn't to have moral courage. Her job was to write a great book, and that's what she did, yeah. and that's what she achieved. And and the book
0: has scads of moral courage. Yeah, I guess in this, those it's one of the most moral books of the twentieth. I mean, if you yeah. if you asked somebody, hey, what's the most moral book of the twentieth century? <coughs> I think one out, like 10, first... you know, one out of ten first, not one out of nine out of ten people. This is one of the one of the first, if not the first thing that they they come, they'd think, come you know, up this with. This is yeah. like the this is the moral touchstone of the entire twentieth century in novel writing. Can you name another? I mean, uh, no. I can't. To test this sort of theory, you'd have to find evidence. And so where would the places be that lack moral courage? Well, we could pick on the Cunningham scene again. We're not going to show these guys for the racists that they are. We're going to have Scout pull a cute little thing and send the lynch mob packing. You could pick on the lack of, I don't necessarily agree with any of this, but let me just throw some things out there. You could pick on the lack of Representation hashtag representation for Tom Robinson for our main black character,
1: Calpurnia. Wow, well, okay, in Calpurnia's church, Calpurnia's people, and the pastor, and the people that all of whom bring are only food.
0: seen as deferential and scouts limited,
1: childlike. Well, there is that one lady that asks her why she brought white children to the church. Yeah, and it's confrontational, and then she gets put in her place and. I'm with you guys. I'm just trying to make the argument
2: here. No, yeah, Um, I know what what you're doing. And as far as the Cunningham scene goes, I mean, Harper Lee lived in a small town and she knew that there was more nuance. So the liberals, they Mm -hmm. like to claim that there is no real good or evil. There's no bad or good. They're just people, Mm -hmm. right? Except in the case of white racists. And then suddenly they become the ultimate evil, the bad guy, the Sauron, right? And so all Harper Lee's acknowledging is that you can have people who would live normal good lives still be racist.
1: She even goes so far as to actually make the point out loud, like to actually say, you know, she has that whole scene where they're talking about how evil the Nazis are in the middle of all of this. You remember? Mm -hmm. And... It's a very sophisticated way of saying the Nazis were people too, guys. Which and isn't a
0: popular sentiment these days. I think people actually want these bad guys to be dehumanized. mustache
1: trolling, dehumanized. The jo- one character Absolutely. that kind of
0: works by progressive standards is Tom Yule because he is just a horrible daughter-molesting murderer yeah. of a jerk. But... To have somebody like Mr. Cunningham be both sympathetic to Scout and to Atticus and a virulent racist that wants to lynch Tom Robinson.
1: Yeah. She has been saying, and then she goes so far as to explicitly say, how different, or at least pose the question, how different are we from the Nazis really? Mm -hmm. If we're willing to lynch Tom Robinson, if if we're willing to put him on, to have a kangaroo court here and convict him of a crime, We know he's not guilty of how different are we from the Nazis?
0: By the way, guys, uh, just a quick question, plot question. Was Tom Robinson murdered by the police?
1: No, I think Tom actually. Suicided? Suicided. But a (laughs)
0: very possible reading is they just took care of the problem.
1: Yes, that is a very possible reading. That is a possible reading. I've never read it that way. Me That's neither. Possibly. I just it
0: just struck me this time. But I'm sorry, Jake. I interrupted the point you were making, or maybe you no, just I think really... I'd finished it,
1: or more or less finished it. All I said or was saying was that <laughs> she really makes clear that she wants to ask the question: how how far off are we from the Nazis, really? Right.
0: Well, she has that whole extended section with the old lady who's so nasty, and then right. we're supposed to be like, oh, she's dying, and Atticus are liberal do gooder hero really wants his children to understand that this woman, this nasty old woman
1: has courage. Had
0: courage and deserved their compassion. And respect. And respect.
1: Yeah. She's a nasty, terrible person. She was in the middle of doing something courageous that made her that much more irritable. And Atticus wanted them to see the virtue in the in the nasty person. Harper Lee paints a Southern town full of good people who are all willing to do terrible things.
0: But it's actually not a prop. It's not a popular point these days. I I, I think among a certain sort of person, like
1: <clears throat> no, you well, just want to demonize the opposition, right? Right. You don't want to humanize the opposition. Oh, you, people
0: voted for Trump. They must be Nazis. Oh, people didn't vote for Trump. They must be the liberal Socialists. socialist Illuminati that want to tear our country apart. Yeah. Well, let me go, let, let me go back to Stucky one more time before we get too far away from him. I would make the case, I think, because I was very aware of the levels of irony in this book and I wasn't, it's not something that as a teenager, when I read this book, I was really all that aware of at all. But the sophistication with which Harper Lee does her little tap dance is immense I mean, she is operating on several levels at any given time and telling multiple stories and telling you things by not telling you things and making sly little jokes. And she does it with such masterful subtlety that you just never catch her doing it. You don't think about those rhetorical tricks. You don't think, oh, now we're switching to an adult's perspective. Doing such a good job with the dramatic trick of irony that you don't even think of this book as ironic. You You think
1: of it as being sincere, but it's dripping with sarcasm and satire and
0: double meanings and yeah
1: from the first page to the last
0: right mm-hmm. and you really don't think of it that way so once you've said that i will give stucky this yeah i think there's places where she wants to avoid talking about things i also think but
1: he didn't actually
0: say- well i'll give our characterization of stucky that there's places where she wants to juke where she wants to Be like, oh, I just want to go there. If you're accusing, if you're saying that that's bad, then okay, I guess I get that. But I also think it's her right not to, I mean, if, if, if your standard is this novel must be the most cutting piece of social realism, then I guess it fails that. But if your standard is this must be a masterful novel, then I don't think it fails that every author has to make choices about what they want to emphasize and what they don't want to talk about. And she had a landmine to navigate and she does it so well that you don't even think of it as a landmine for the most part. You just think, Oh, that was a nice little stroll. Mm -hmm. So yeah, she is switching narrative voices. She is employing devices to avoid talking about things and she's doing a terrific job and she's to be commended for it. And it's a neat trick. And I just think so many authors would do it so much more poorly the yeah, the whole no thing is you don't catch her doing it, you know? I mean, it's like when people say that book was manipulative. Every book is manipulative. Some books feel manipulative. That's the problem. Mm-hmm. And so, oh, that music made me feel like the scene was supposed to, in the movie was supposed to be sad. Well, every sad scene has music like that, but you just didn't like this music because it did a bad job and drew attention to itself. Harper Lee never draws attention to herself. She's doing all these things so subtly that... I mean, I almost want to say, even if she is being cowardly, she's getting away with it. Yeah. Like, she she earns the right by being so good at it.
1: There's a way that you could read this book, a simplistic way of reading this book, where you just don't see the subtlety of her craft, or, or the subtlety of her craft is so lost on you that you really do think with Flannery O'Connor that it's just a silly child's book. And then I can understand somebody being critical of the style but that person has no busy being no business being a public critic Mm -hmm. of literature because what a fool what an illiterate fool yep there you go wj stucky
0: there's a little rhetorical trick called insult (coughs) served up nice and hot for you stucky third third criticism this is my third and final criticism that i've seen leveled at this book in various forums that it is essentially short-sighted In its view of history, in its view of small town life, of race politics, that it is essentially a optimistic fairy tale of an America that both never existed and never came into being. The kind of benevolent walk around in people's shoes liberalism of of an Atticus Finch is in fact a lie and doesn't get you anywhere and hasn't gotten our nation anywhere and didn't work. I mean, or we're treading into the territory of race politics here, which is not really where I mean for us to go. But I think we do have to, if, for, right, if ever there was a play, time for the book to go a little bit there, maybe.
1: Maybe it's in To Kill a Mockingbird. Here's, here's what I wanna say to that. Let's grant that all of those things are true. Let's just grant them all. What's wrong with a little bit of aspirational writing? What's, what's wrong with something to inspire us to be better? and to rise above ourselves.
0: Because it allows us, if I can play devil's advocate, as white people to pat ourselves on the back, say, actually, we'd be Attis- Atticus Finch. Actually, we'd be the people that supported Atticus. We'd be the judge. It doesn't, it doesn't actually force us to reckon with anything. It actually just tells a nice fairy tale.
1: Doesn't, isn't there a sense in which telling yourself, I'd be Atticus Finch, or even I'd wanna be Atticus Finch, is in itself ennobling helps you take when the time if and when the time comes take that step to be able to say yeah i remember saying i would be atticus finch here it is i I gotta do that i'm not actually ready in real life to grant all of those things Mm -hmm. i just want to make the point let's just say worst case scenario all those things are true is there no silver lining is there no beauty in having a story where we have a hero like Atticus Finch that we can aspire to be and imagine ourselves being. And let, let's go ahead and say, sure, we read the book, we failed to ask ourselves the question, if we're the Nazis, we failed to, to ask ourselves the question.
0: And we're granting in this scenario that the book doesn't even actually make us reckon with those
1: questions. Yeah, the book doesn't actually ask us to think about, are we, are we the Nazis today? Mm-hmm. The book doesn't ask us to think, are we the people, the the woman living down the street? It doesn't ask us to to think about each of those characters. It doesn't ask us to see ourselves in the lynch mob. Let's pretend like it doesn't do that. Even so, does it mean something for us to read a book where there's an Atticus Finch that we can aspire to be and say, yeah, he's right. That's what I wish I would do. And therefore, what I am now imagining myself doing in that scenario. And does that not, in some small way, improve me and help me be a better man? And if we can answer yes to that, then who, I'm, who cares about the rest of it? Because that critic's wrong about the rest of it too, or most of it.
0: Well, we'll get there in a second, but what I want to tag on and say is, it did. Like, what historical snobbishness like, okay, maybe even you want to grant <clears throat> that Jake Menzel and Nathan Alverson and Brandon Chastain don't need Atticus Finch, that we're in a different time and place. But Atticus Finch did inspire a generation of white people that really wanted to do better. And
1: Atticus Finch, no question, inspired my dad. R- Precisely. He inspired my dad to be a better man and to... Try to raise me to to live in a way that doesn't see color. There's no question in my mind that that is a l- direct downstream from Harper Lee thing, one to one. Atticus Finch, my dad, to me, mm-hmm. and
0: maybe Gregory Peck in the middle there, and,
1: and yeah, and maybe only Gregory Peck, but who cares? And my dad failed in all kinds of ways, and there were things that we didn't know or see or understand about. Race, even with you know, my black friends growing up, that I just didn't get it's hard to actually walk around in somebody else's shoes. Mm-hmm. It's a lot harder than it looks. It's a lot harder than you imagine it to be. And maybe there were all kinds of dumb ways where we patted ourselves on the back and said that we had done that when we had it. But we wanted to, and we thought it was the right thing to do. And Atticus Finch, the character created by Harper Lee, is in fact. In many ways, directly responsible for the desire to do that, the desire to imagine ourselves having to, all of that stuff, and you can't say that that is intrinsically negative. What what's
2: what's negative about it?
1: Yeah, what's what's negative about an, a a hero that you can aspire to well, like that? Critics like that would say, well, that's just oversimplifying
2: things and
1: letting people off the hook. And what they need to be told is, yeah shut up, check your privilege, you, you're not capable of... But that's not what modern art,
0: pop art tells you. That's Modern pop art tells you Tom Ewell is such a monster that he just des- deserves to be put down like a dog, like the rabid dog that Atticus shoots, and that's it. End of the story. And then we all get to pat ourselves on the back because we we're, no, all, we're yeah. not a horrible racist monster like Tom Yule.
1: We either stay inside and shut the door or we go stand in the street with a gun and shoot the Tom Yules of the world. But that's all that there is. That's all that's left to us. Right. Not trying to live in any kind of real responsible way, loving our neighbor. But as a white male, I have two options. One's to stay inside my house and the other is to go hunt down the Tom Yules of the world. Mm-hmm. But that's it. Cause I don't have the right to try to live and navigate through this my way through this world, as a man who just wants to be an upright, righteous, Mm -hmm. God-fearing man who honors all people.
0: Well, the thing about Harper Lee is she hasn't read any books on critical race theory. She doesn't understand that white privilege is intrinsically bad. And so Atticus as of character does have white privilege and he is paternalistic in the way that he helps people. And I think the modern sensibility finds that offensive.
1: And how condescending of Harper Lee to write a book about.
0: About that guy and about that guy's daughter. Like what about Calpurnia? She's the
2: character or Tom, he's the character. That's what I've been thinking is that their response would be to write it
0: from Tom's perspective. Right. And my response is sure, but that doesn't mean this isn't a good book too.
2: Yeah. And so they would say, aren't you just, well, like you're just sugarcoating things. You're making it too easy. You're giving us the easy way out the easy perspective the one that lets us live in a fantasy parable but that's not the point of art the point of art is to show us what's real and to make us change by seeing what we don't want to look at those sorts of things what's hard to look at what wouldn't get looked at otherwise i mean those that's the typical response from the multicultural Mm -hmm. perspective
1: there's some hard to look at things in this book guys yeah sorry to say i mean
0: the yeah. And it certainly doesn't make the white privilege of somebody like Tom Ewell look like a very
1: enviable,
0: enviable or happy. Is it Bob Yule? Bob Yule? Is it Bob Ewell? I I keep it's, it. it's Tom Robinson. Tom Robinson, sorry. Yeah, Bob Ewell. I don't know. I mean, I just we don't have to turn this into a podcast on critical race theory, but the fact is, the, the Atticus's of that period did have privilege and the fact yeah. that Atticus uses it, you can be mad that they had the privilege, but here's an idea. They were going to. The fact that Atticus uses it well... Isn't something that we should sneer at.
1: What else is he supposed to do? What's he supposed to
0: do? Well, what he's supposed to do is give it up somehow. And who knows?
1: Yeah. And then what happens?
0: How that works.
1: Yeah. And
2: where this criticism crosses with Flannery O'Connor is that I'm sure these people are thinking that that just turns this into a moral parable. Mm -hmm. That's all this story is. And who needs that sort of thing? That's just too easy because all that does is it's like moral catharsis. But it doesn't ask you to change anything by showing you what's difficult, like the wire. <laughs> right. <laughs> right? I, don't
1: know, I don't know
0: what they would. If to. only To Kill a Mockingbird could be the wire. Yeah, I
2: don't know what they would
0: look at. <laughs> like it on a wire.
1: Yeah, imaginative.
0: HBO should really make To Kill a Mockingbird. We just need more yeah. nudity and yeah. sexual torture. And yeah, and so cocaine.
2: Atticus Drugs. is just too easy. He's too unrealistic. He's too white Mm -hmm. Tom Robinson it really should have just been about him it should have been for him
0: Well, Brandon, doesn't it dehumanize Tom Robinson actually just in a metatextual way that we don't actually get anything from his point of view that we just see him as this victim this thing the symbol dehumanize him yeah isn't so I'm not saying that the characters dehumanize I'm saying that the text dehumanizes him by not Giving him a voice.
1: Because why would the nine-year-old girl go spend time with Tom Robinson?
2: Well, then don't write it from her perspective. I guess I'm just, I don't like lazy definitions, so
0: I I still don't understand how the text is dehumanizing him. Because it's not making him a human. He's a symbol. He's a victim. He's a thing in the story. He's a plot point. He's not allowed any dimensionality. He's not allowed any character trait that doesn't isn't directly. Well, I think that's actually part of the uh, the becoming of Atticus and of no.
2: It's actually it's it's part of the effectiveness of this story that we only get to see what they would have seen of Tom, and yet it still works to make us realize the horror that's happening. Right? Does that make sense? We don't. We only see Tom through other people, Mm -hmm. which is interesting. We see him through his wife. Yeah, except when he takes a stand, but we see him through the way that the white community looks at him, the way that the black community looks at him, the way his wife looks at him. But We don't ever really get to know Tom, which is an interesting point,
0: but I think it's more, I don't think it dehumanizes him at all. Here's here's the thing. Harper Lee wasn't above having Jem and Scout and Pillsbury, what's his name? Yeah. Dill. Dill. Go anywhere, do anything that the plot requires. She's very clever in the way that she covers her tracks, but basically they're just always where they need to be. They could have gone into that jail and had a little conversation with old Tom. She could have given Tom some humanity, actually, made him into more of a, more than a symbol. It wouldn't have been hard to contrive some moments of dimensionality, to even, to give Tom what Twain gave Jim. Yeah, even. I don't know if this story needed that, though, because it's really interesting the way it works, is
2: that she manages to do a lot of humanizing by the fact that we never get to see this poor man, except through his relations and through what he's being accused of that we know is so wrong. We don't have to see anything else about him. And yet it does feel like a really, not even, it feels like a full picture. I hadn't thought of it that way before, but yeah, she doesn't feel like she has to give us a full portrait of Tom Robinson for him to still have, well, I guess she has enough dignity to realize that we don't necessarily have to know all of someone's story to realize the injustice is being done to them. That that's part of it is that someone would demand that we have to humanize someone in that way to ever think of them as having an injustice perpetrated against them. That's pretty dehumanizing. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that does.
0: I, and you actually do get a lot of who Tom is just through, yeah, like the fact that he would always stop and help her help the what's her face, the, the woman that accuses him of yeah. the daughter. That both shows he was foolish and that he was a kind, compassionate guy. You actually learn all kinds of things about who Tom was.
2: And in the end, this is not a book that is questioning whether or not we should value the black community. This book is assuming we should, and that the book is more a question of how do we deal with that as a white community and stop? And so that's what the perspective it's going to deal more with. And it's not humanizing the white community to have the story be about them, just like it's not simp- oversimplifying the black community to not have the story be about them.
0: But just on the, in the context to two episodes ago, Brandon, you made a good, you used the context section as an excuse to talk about the Harlem Renaissance and all your favorite authors and say people actually should read wider than a boring old white man's definition of the Western canon. Yeah. Like we need, we actually do need more black voices. We do. That doesn't mean you eradicate To Kill a Mockingbird because it doesn't happen to represent that point of view. It just means more people should write more books. What it means is that you should understand what the
2: book is doing in front of you Mm -hmm. and not wish that it would do more. And so you don't like get mad at Tolstoy because he didn't write about the American Revolution that was also taking place in the War of 1812. And so you deal with the book that you have because that book is about the upper class of Russia. You deal with the book you have here. This is about a small town community and the way that it disregards certain people. And once you realize that's what it's about, you realize it's not dehumanizing Boo Radley or Tom Robinson to not have them be
0: in the limelight. All it's doing is... Boo Radley, I hadn't even thought of in relation. What a, if you want to talk about a character who's just a symbol or an archetype or a, yeah, who isn't really fleshed out in, there's a white character that's much more that than Tom, Yeah. by the way.
2: And this is just an inevitability of any story. There are always going to be ancillary characters characters that have to make brief appearances in a story for particular reasons and like it or not that's just the way that life works too i mean do these same people every person they meet do they then do a deep facebook dive on them to make sure they really understand who they are i mean that's that's sort of absurd to even expect that we don't expect it of life and we can't expect it of art
0: well and by the way insofar as within the confines of the story she's telling harper lee can give us better representation she's going to. She's going to give us Pernia. She's going to give us the trip to the black church. She's going to yeah. give us the pastor. She's going to have them up in the rafters with the black community when Tom gets sentenced.
2: Yeah. I mean, Huckleberry Finn had already done it, right? Jem is the, is the great character that sort of was the deep dive that they would want. And this book assumes it can assume human dignity for characters that aren't primary or even... Secondary characters. I mean, Tom makes such a brief appearance, and yet everything revolves around him. This book would be way too much if it's what that's what it tried to do, and that's not what it's trying to do. What's fascinating about this book is it seems to be just a small town story for the first few chapters, and then suddenly it becomes this, and you realize how if these sort of horrors could just be on the outskirts, while everything seems like it should just be normal, it should just be like a Steven Spielberg small town movie. But then suddenly you have the interruption of the monster that enters in later. I don't, th- I don't see that as being a problem. It's actually pretty effective. To summarize what I've been saying, you should criticize the book
1: that she, you, wrote. That she
2: wrote, not the book that you wish that she had written. And so, like I was saying in context, there's a whole world of books that do exactly what apparently these sorts of critics want. You can go in and you can read Native Son. You can go in and you can read Invisible Man. Those are from the perspective Of a black man, they're brilliant, they're great books. They do the work you're wanting them to do, but that's not what Harper Lee's writing. She's writing about the white people that are oblivious to that until it interrupts their community. Mm -hmm. And then she's writing about all the disturbances that happen because of that. So actually in that way, it's, it's, it's brilliant and let it do the work that it's trying to do.
0: Well, and by the way, maybe this is so obvious that it doesn't even bear saying, but Harper Lee couldn't have written anything else. She's writing her life. She's writing what she grew up with. These are her memories. You know, I mean, her dad was a lawyer who did defend people like Tom Robinson on occasion. She didn't have the materials to write the Tom Robinson story. And how could she? Do not Tom Robinson.
2: Well, it's funny. If she had written, if she had tried to write that book, all you would have is people saying, this is just a white woman trying to write from the perspective of a
0: black man. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) What does she know? Yeah, exactly. Kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't. Well, I'll tell you who I like, our donors. I thought that might be where you were headed, Nathan.
1: <laughs> I didn't. I had no idea where this was going.
0: Aw, oh, man. It's because I switched rhetorical devices on you, Jake. Tricks, you mean? Yeah, rhetorical tricks. I'm sorry. Trixie host. Alberson. Yep. Trixie. Call him. Fun fact. Sometimes we offer Brandon some bread and he won't. He refuses. He goes and catches his own fish and devours them.
1: Mm-hmm. Mumbles to himself mm-hmm. nasty. Mm-hmm. Nasty hobbitses. <sighs> nasty, nasty warhorn media people. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right. Brandon, what kind of exciting thing are we going to do to announce our patrons? Which, by the way, if you want to become a patron, you go to patreon.com forward slash thebookening. You can give any amount per month. But if you give... At least ten dollars, we will shout you out, like we're about to do for these fine people, and we're also going to do something cute and fun, like we always do. And Brandon's going to call it. Am I? Yeah. Oh man, we're gonna we're gonna just say
2: their names. Nope, that's not how it works, that's Brandon. Not how it works? We're just gonna
0: say their names really sweetly. Oh, okay, that works. Uh, we can do that. Round and the lovebirds, Brandon. Robert and Robert and the Lovebirds. The Artful Anthony Dodger, Jake. The Artful Anthony Dodger. That was very sweet. That was sweet. The Artful Anthony I'm Dodger. I'm crying be Blushing. Here. Little Anthony Cigar Store. Little Anthony Cigar Store. And did we say sweet or? <laughs> sultry. Sultry. Little Anthony Cigar Store. That's your version of sultry? <laughs> I don't know. Because, man. Poor Anna. Yeah. Poor Anna. Poor, Anna. Poor Anna. Hey, Anna. Come here, baby. I'm using my sultry voice. Aren't I sexy right now, Adam?
1: Oh, Nathan.
0: I'm going to try this on Meredith when I go home. (laughs) Hey,
1: Meredith. You want to kiss
0: me? Whoa, she's right outside the door. Oh, wow. She's breaking through the glass. (laughs) She's so attracted to me right now.
1: Sugar, 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 <laughs> water and water.
0: water. Uh, where were we? The immortal Chelsea E. Did we say her yet? The immortal Chelsea E. Jimmy Beam and the Oakley. Little Beam and Jimmy Annie Oakley. <laughs> <laughs> little Beam and <laughs>
1: Jimmy Annie Oakley. I love it. Lily of the Valley. Lily of the Valley. <laughs> the Keith Master. The Keith Master. David's Mighty Men. Trucking. David's Mighty Man. Trucking Jay and
0: June, and little baby Max.
1: Jay and Jew and little baby Max. <laughs> Sorry.
0: Whoa, I missed up some couple there. Uh, John and Katie, who are gold, love cheese and also see us lose, including till we have Jay and
1: Katie, who are gold, love cheese and also see us lose. So it's 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 Jay and John and Katie and Jay and. JD. <laughs> and.
0: Right. Obviously, folks, it's John and Jill and Little Baby Max. And Jane and Katie, who are called Love Cheese and also CS Lily. Fairy Princess of Wonder and Happiness, Mother Beth.
1: Uh, fairy Princess of Wonder and Happiness, Mother Beth. Consul Prime, Adam. Consul Prime, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy, the Dark Hooded Lord of Death. Jeremy, the Dark Hooded Lord of Death. Nathan,
0: not me. Nathan, not Nathan. N- My. Ma- Meyer! Meyer. <laughs> Ryan the Red Avenger and Judith of the Ladies of Justice
1: Ryan the Red Avenger and Judith of the Ladies of Justice
0: Danny the Doom Danny the Doom. <laughs>
1: This is all very sweet, guys. <laughs> <laughs> this is sweet. I'm
0: glad we're fulfilling our the stipulations. Uh, DG, DJ Sammy G, Benny Danny Tiberius, Eric and Catherine. Come on guys. Professor and Lady X, Lavender's Green Dylan Dylan, Lavender's Blue, Lavender's Green Dylan Dylan. I love you too. No constrictor. No constrictor. No constrictor. Marici, 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 the fair. For Chloe. Free and free and free. Anthony who is cold and hates life, liberty, and the Anthony pursuit of cheese. Anthony was cold and hates <laughs> life, liberty and, liberty, and the pursuit of, of cheese. 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 Jiu Jitsu Jeffrey, Jeffrey, the Texas Ranger. Jiu Jitsu Jeffrey, the Texas, Texas
1: Ranger. Rachel.
0: Rachel. Leoparding Thomas.
1: Leoparding Thomas. Midnight Ninja Ellen. Midnight Ninja Ellen. What was
0: that? I don't know, man. <laughs> I'm riffing over here. What is <laughs> <laughs> okay. Queen Congetta. Queen Congetta. Return of the Jedi. Return of the Jedi. Hey, Lance Redford joined us. Wow. <laughs> Jay of Rack and Ruin. Jay of Rack and Ruin. Timothy.
1: Thank you, though. And Brandon Chastine from The Ville. Wow. Hey,
0: guys. Jay of Rack and Ruin. Jay of Rack and Ruin. Timothy the Rider at Dawn. Timothy, Timothy the, the Rider at, at Dawn. Eric and Kate, the Camp Champ Kings, warming up bees. Oh, Cha- do they love those bees? Let me count the ways. Love- <laughs>
1: I hate bees.
0: Maddie, 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 yeah, Matt Lanza is a bad man. Relationship with bees. Uh, sweet Jamie Sunshine. Sweet, sweet Jamie sunshine. sunshine. Taylor, the keeper. Or, sorry, Taylor, not Taylor. I'm so sorry, Tyler. I meant Tyler. Tyler, the keeper of eternal darkness, and Laura, the keeper of eternal
1: light. Tyler, the keeper of eternal darkness, and Laura, the keeper of eternal
0: light. Go to El what?
1: Cold Steel Cody, <laughs> I think it was. And
0: Jacqueline the Librarian Barbarian.
1: Jacqueline the Librarian Barbarian. I'm glad
0: you speak his language, Jake. <laughs> <laughs> Many long years forged in the trenches. John Bobadillo, bomb, oh, bomb diggity. Oh,
1: Lance and Captain Tennille, his mate. Captain Tennille and his mate. His mate.
0: And of course, saxophone Alex. Oh, saxophone
1: saxophone Alex. Sa- saxophone Alex, huh? You got a jet jet jetpack? You don't deliver the jetpacks to you saxophone, Alex, because... We'll find out. Anyway. Anyway. (laughs) The price of $25 at Sound of Sanity, you can uh, be distributed in jetpacks. Yeah, man.
0: Sound of Sanity, or no. Sorry, folks. Uh Wrong podcast. Lance Uh really threw me off there.
1: That'd be my bad, Mr. Stone Huntington.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Stone Huntington's not here. Nathan is here. He's a completely different person. Then stone hunting dude, dude is a, a little, thing, little bit of bit of a jerk, you know. Uh, guys, Nathan is the book. Who Nathan? No, hey, it's Al. Al Moon. That's a good book. Anyway, <laughs> 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 sorry, folks. <laughs> that was a bad ending to the podcast, <laughs> but I'm going to leave it in. Patreon.com forward slash the booking.